Hi, I'm Dr. Sonia Whitaker and your host for the Sonia Whitaker podcast. Now, I recognize that all of us maintain pretty busy lives, and yet we have a genuine desire to continue to grow intellectually so that we may be about the business of ensuring that all students gain equitable access to a quality education. And so as a result of that, I want you to consider your experience with me as what I'm calling professional development on the go. Because you see, throughout each episode of this podcast show, in less than 30 minutes, my intent is to address topics that contribute to or serve as counterproductive in supporting you in achieving the aforementioned goal. I'd like to start out this podcast by sharing with you that my intent is to discuss with you why critical race theory is the source, is the subject of heated political debate. And before doing so, I want to share with you a quote that was shared with me by a friend recently. And that quote is, history does not repeat itself. People repeat history. As an avid listener of the Sonia Witter podcast, you should recall the recently published season four, episode one podcast entitled Critical Race Theory versus Culturally Responsive Pedagogy. As you'll recall, in that podcast, I explained the difference between the two. So as to set the stage for the content that I want to discuss with you today, please allow me to restate the differences very, very briefly. According to Anthony Zusher of BBC News, critical race theory originated as a field of study in the 1970s, spearheaded by Derrick Bell, Harvard University's first permanently appointed black law professor, to address what he saw as shortcomings in understanding how discrimination and inequity are perpetuated in the law. More specifically, critical race theory analyzes the role of race and racism in perpetuating social disparities between dominant and marginalized groups. It is important to recognize that critical race theory is being studied at the graduate level. Critical race theory is being studied in various law schools. Critical race theory is actually not the focus of study in a greater majority of America's K-12 educational institutions. Culturally responsive pedagogy is the study relevant to what is occurring and or what should actually be occurring in America's K-12 educational institutions. According to Lisa Delpit, culturally responsive pedagogy is a student-centered approach to teaching in which the student's unique cultural strengths are nurtured and identified to promote student achievement and a sense of well-being about the student's natural cultural place in this world. And so as we begin to go deeper into this conversation, I want you to recognize that in America's K-12 
educational institutions if a teacher is indeed implementing culturally responsive pedagogy. It may also be referred to as culturally responsive teaching. And for a moment of clarification, I'll share that culturally responsive teaching or culturally sustaining teaching, which is a term I heard recently and I really love, is about what we teach and how we teach diverse populations. It's a combination of pedagogy, curriculum, actual instructional delivery, but also the attitudes and beliefs that teachers or educators bring to the classroom. In summary, culturally responsive teaching is a combination of four areas in particular. It's pedagogy, it's curriculum, it's instructional delivery, and it's attitudes and beliefs. In order to answer the question regarding why critical race theory is the source or the subject of heated political debates, although we know that's different from the implementation of culturally responsive pedagogy or different from culturally responsive teaching. In order to frame my conversation with you, the focus of this podcast will be on curriculum. Progressing forward, why is this the source of fierce debate? I'd like to read a quote from you by Carter G. Woodson, and that quote is as follows. If you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his action. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it himself. And if you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told. And if there is no back door, his very nature will demand one. Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. And so the point that I am making is that this political national debate is about controlling one's thinking. It's about controlling one's mind. It's about intentionally ensuring that America's most vulnerable individuals maintain a marginalized status in the United States of America. In my humble estimation, that is exactly what this is about. Now, it is important to recognize that when adults 
for the lack of a term, better term, I'm going to say come at this conversation or enter into this conversation. I believe that they enter into this conversation with a, from a couple of different perspectives. I'm going to divide it into three for my own edification. One is they come at it from a perspective of, listen, I don't know what this conversation is about, right? Uh, that would be the citizen that's going to work, just trying to make a living, just trying to put food on the table, who then sits down at the end of the day and watch all of this happening on the news, this conversation about what should and should not be taught in America's public schools. I think that that's one line of thinking or one perspective that exists. I interact mostly, I'll share with you in the spirit of vulnerability, with uh, those that are in this kind of second category, for which I don't even actually have formal terms which I really love, actually, because I'm I'm still like you. I'm going through the process of trying to determining to determine what is happening in our great place here, uh, called the United States of America, and doing attempting to do my best to provide some level of clarification so that we can be whole, so that we can heal as a nation. And so, with that being said, I guess I would suggest that that second category, the category of people that I'm experiencing right now, is the category of people that are really just trying to figure it out. As I indicated in the last podcast, they mostly are our school board members or teachers or educators with various different titles that have a black and white and Asian and Latino, regardless of the ethnic background, I have found there's a huge population of the folks that I just referred to that are really just trying to do right about all children, regardless of the color of their skin. And they're trying to make sense of this debate and they really just don't want to do anything wrong. And so they need me. They need uh, those of us who are grounded in this work to provide for them another narrative to consider so that they can make really sound and, and good and just decisions. And then there is this third category of individuals, uh, you know, again, in the spirit of transparency, I really don't interact with much. And I guess if they're in my audiences, they just haven't made themselves known. But from what I can gather, there is a third line of thinking, again, in all fairness, where there are individuals nationwide that are really just concerned, so they say, about uh, the ripping apart of, of us as adults or um, as a people in our country, um, that I would have to say that what I have gathered and from the few conversations I've had with people that fall in this third category, um, the concern is about making a group of people feel bad about what has occurred in our country. About um, It's about making people feel embarrassed. Uh, and in some cases, this third group of people just believe that the history as we know it just should not be taught in America's public schools. And so, again, I wanted to, in all fairness, to to attempt to describe what Sonia Whitaker believes are three different buckets or I'll say categories of thinking that exist in the United States of America and then bring you back to the one that I, the line of thinking that I am subscribing to, and that is that there is a an attempt, be it deliberate or um, unintentional, be it at the conscious or the unconscious level, there is an attempt 
to attempt to control man's thinking. There is an attempt to limit uh, students' access relevant to their intellectual capabilities. There is an attempt to ensure that various aspects, various, various important aspects of our country's history is left out of the curriculum. In my humble estimation, these are aspects of our country's history that have to be taught in America's public schools. Because I'll end how I started with the quote that says, history does not repeat itself. People will repeat history. Or people do engage in the act of repeating history. And so for individuals who I'll say fall into the third bucket, again, for the lack of a better term, I would suggest that the line of thinking or that you consider embracing in your spirit the idea that the purpose of incorporating history into our curriculum, true legitimate history for ensuring that not just the teachers but that our students develop cultural competencies is really the recipe for healing our country. <laughs>